0: this series. Again, I'm constantly reminded of how blessed I am that my father is who he is. with These attributes I love to study, just read scripture beyond studying it, just read passages in the Bible, but the depth of who our dad is, who our heavenly father is, that We've been talking about last week. We've started talking about his wisdom, and we've, obviously, we're going to deal with that again today. And I love that verse from Daniel there on your handout. Daniel answered and said, "Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His. Might being all powerful. He it, he can do anything. He knows everything." And we talked about last week, and we're going to really focus in on it this week. That we, as a, as Christians, desperately need, whether as a parent, as a spouse, a, a, as a, an employer, an employee, as a friend, or just just trying to live the Christ's life and be everything that God wants me to be, the constant prayer on our lips is, "Lord, I need wisdom." What do I do with my 14-year-old that's driving me crazy? Uh, what do I do with my wife who's so special? I hope I got that right. Tomorrow is our anniversary, Mary and I. We've been married, I don't know, 100 years, something like that. 47 years. 47 years. Tomorrow we will have been married, and uh, we met 50 years ago, started dating, and and she's sharing something with me last week it happened in 1970 and i said I, I have no idea what you're talking about she goes how could you not remember that i said uh, was it yesterday 50 years ago and but it's it's amazing just think back how quickly 50 years goes by and to realize you've been married 47 years and uh, I think I've shared this with you before, but a friend of mine—I have a picture of Mary in my office, and our high school picture when we met in high school and started dating. And in my stupidity, it was off and on. But I got a picture of her in there, and a friend of mine was in my office one day, and he was staring at the picture. And finally, he said, "He said, how did that ever marry you?'" And I said, "Because God is good, and I have been blessed, uh, without a doubt." And then in Romans 11 there on your handout, oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, exclamation point. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out, exclamation point. And here's the point that I really want us to focus on today. Is that our God is infinite. All the different attributes we've been talking about, he's all of those things simultaneously, which is just a powerful thing to think about. That he, is, that he is holy, that he is righteous, that he is immutable. These all the things, he's love, all the things we've been talking about, sovereign, at the same time. And the most important thing that he ever made, he says in his word, is me and you. We're the epitome of his creation. We were created in his image, nothing else is. And for those of us, that's just the human race. And for those of us who are born again, who are Christians, Christ's followers, He's our Father. We're in His family. And He says so many things there, that verse there, James, on your handout. When I need wisdom, where do I need to go? Well, if I've got a brain, which I do, because I'm created in the image of God, I've got a brain and an intellect and the ability to choose, I need to go to Him. Because this is the real focus of today in this understanding wisdom He is infinite. He's also omnipresent. That's what that includes. He sees everything simultaneously. Everything. He was walking in the cool in the garden with Adam and Eve. Even as we're sitting here today, together worshiping him and learning from his word, he's walking in the garden with Adam and Eve. He's seeing Jesus come back. He's looking at the crucifixion. Everything to him is now... He's outside time. Space-time continuum was created for us. We are the finite. He is the infinite. And so it's, it's, it's vital that we step back and revel in the depths of who our dad is. And as we focus specifically on wisdom, that's what I want us to do today, is think about, well, I, we, as the finite realize that for true wisdom and the application of knowledge, we need to go to the infinite, who is our Heavenly Father. 80% of all the scientists that have ever lived on planet Earth are alive right now. Every minute, they add 2,000 pages to man's scientific knowledge. The material they produce every 24 hours would take one person five years to read. Every day, the equivalent of over 300 million pages of text is sent over the Internet... According to Dr. Malcolm Todd, one-time president of the American Medical Association, about half of all the medical knowledge is outdated every 10 years. It's estimated that over 15,000 scientific journals are being published annually, and that throughout the world, well over 1,000 new books are published every day. Studies have concluded that human knowledge is currently doubling approximately every eight years. According to author H.L. Wilmington, by the time a child is born today, graduates that child graduates from college, the knowledge in the world will be four times as great. By the time that child is 50, it will be 32 times as great. And 97% of everything known in the world will have been learned since the time he or she was born. We have a lot of knowledge. We have a lot of knowledge. What we need is wisdom. We need wisdom to take the knowledge that we have and apply it in a way that honors God. We've discovered since March of this year that we desperately need God. Well, we will continue to discover that time when coronavirus is gone, if it ever is, there'll be something else. If you live in California right now, certain areas of California, You don't know if your property is even going to be there the next day. It could be burnt to the ground. Earthquake, where we live on a fault in Memphis, Tennessee, we could just be swallowed up by the earth tomorrow. There's crazy enough people in the world, Iran and other places. Once they develop a nuclear weapon, you don't think they're crazy enough to use it? I do. Once that happens, it's over. We desperately, as a human society, need the infinite to step into the world of the finite. And he's I'm not present. We need to humble ourselves and seek his face. Now, for us as Christians, look at Job 12, starting Job 28, starting in verse 12. I want us to focus on how could God use us? We need to seek wisdom. I want to begin with that search for wisdom in verse 12. Starting at verse 12. But with all this knowledge, we talked about this last week. Where can wisdom be found? Where's the place of understanding? Saying the same thing two different ways, but we call that that Hebrew parallelism for emphasis. Where's wisdom? Where's understanding? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. The deep says, it's not in me. And the sea says, it's not with me. The search for wisdom. The first thing you notice is that that you're not going to find it. Man can't find it with man. Where can wisdom be found, verse 12? In other words, what he's saying is, where can I as a man, Job, get the full understanding of what God wants with all that I know? What is God's will? What is God's plan? We've talked about this many times. But if you study prayer in Scripture and you want to sum it up, prayer has two basic tenets in Scripture. What Jesus taught us how to pray. You all have memorized at some point in your life the Lord's Prayer, better known as the model prayer. When they asked Jesus, "How do we pray?" Teach us how to pray. What did He say? Our. Okay, you can stop there. We got we got far enough. Even in the mumbling, I was impressed. The two basic tenets you got them. Number one. Hallow your name, or glorify you. The chief end of man is to glorify God. We exist to point out to other people who God is. The finite, the Christians in particular, we have the privilege as the church of Jesus Christ to point out to the world who God really is. Not who they think he is, not who they want him to be, but who he really is. We have that privilege. We're his children. You get to brag on your daddy. I know that's all my children do, is just brag on their daddy all the time. Well, maybe not, but I get that privilege as a Christian. So the two basic tenets, again, of prayer. One, glorify God. Two, what is your will, Dad? What is your will? Why? We're not preaching on prayer today, but it's real simple. How many mistakes has God ever made? Well, I can name some people that he could, no, no. How many mistakes has God ever made? Not one. One. How many of you made? Just today. Uh, let's see. I did, uh, yeah. Just today. How many of you say, I, we're, again, we're flawed. He's perfect. His will is always best, even though I don't like it at times, don't understand it. It's never wrong. It's never not best for me. And so my prayer life is, Lord, Father, Dad, I want people to know about you and what is your will for Randy in relation to this, in this relationship, in this endeavor. What do you want? How can I best glorify you? This is the theme of the book of Job. It's that he's constantly seeking the answer to the profoundest of all questions. Where can I find wisdom? Where can I think about the life of Job? We're not going to go back over all of that. All that Job goes through, even with his wife and his best friends and everyone telling him it's your fault, something wrong with you, and he's a godly man, and he's hurting in all kinds of ways, and he's saying, Lord, I just want to understand, that's what Job is about, that and, and ultimately you see, we're not going to study that, but ultimately you see Job come to the place. That, naked I came into the world, and naked I'm going out. Blessed be the name of the Lord. God has been good to me. Despite all the horrific things that happened to him, he comes to the understanding that God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't do what I want him to do all the time, which is a good thing. Which we shall see as we walk through this. So this is what the book of Job is about. Answering this profoundest of all questions. We've got knowledge. We've got abilities. I can go everywhere on the planet. That's what he's talking You see it here metaphorically. He lays it out. In these verses 12, 13, and 14. Where is wisdom? Where is the place of understanding? Look at verse 13 again. Man does not know its value. Nor is it found in the land of the living. He said, I and, and men as human beings, we don't really understand the true value of wisdom. And I know in my life, and, and, and hopefully I can challenge you and encourage you in this, there is nothing more significant in your life to pray for than wisdom. That, Lord, I want to take this and I want to respond the way you would have me respond. What would Jesus do? Or what do you want Randy to do? How do you want me, not just outwardly, but emotionally, spiritually, mentally. Mary and I were discussing something like this yesterday in a different arena, and I said, that's the significance, if you pause to think about it, of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Greatest sermon ever preached. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. He's laying out the principles of the kingdom of God, Matthew five, six and seven, if you just read it. because he wants the Pharisees to understand that you desperately need God. they didn't. They thought they were self-righteous, blameless. Think about that. They considered themselves without sin in relation to the law. So you know what Jesus told them to get their attention? He said, really? Yes wait, I'm sure that's what he said first, really? He said, You've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. Which obviously they'd heard. Jesus said, I say to you now, if you've thought about it, you're guilty. And every one of them went. That's Hebrew 4. I'm in trouble. And he goes on. To make the point to them, to raise the bar so they would understand, you think you're righteous? Well, let me show you where the bar set so you'll understand what? There's no way in West Memphis. That was a, another one of their favorite phrases. There's no way in West Memphis I'm ever crawling over that and getting over that bar. No way. Because then it brings you to where the thief of the cross was, where you turn to Jesus and say, I'm hopeless. Lord, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? I need you to save me because if you don't save me, I can't be saved. I deserve my punishment. I deserve the wrath of God. I am a sinner. And the only way of salvation is in you. I believe you are the Messiah. Would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? So beautiful. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Not a good guy. But he was born again hanging on that cross. The finite needs to understand. I need the infinite. Where's the place of understanding, Job says. Where can I find wisdom? Man can't find it. And he doesn't understand it. In all his own personal endeavors, he thinks he's going to m- make it and, and he can be righteous. And then ultimately you come to a point, there's certain things you can't stop, you can't control. As a, as a worldwide society, we're discovering that now. There's certain things we can't fix we can't control we can't stop And one of those is death and then when death comes there's a beyond then what are you going to do because you can't fix it you can't control it God has said to us we talked about this a few weeks ago I'll solve that problem for you I'll come die in your place so that you can be redeemed. You can have your sins paid for. You can be right with me, righteous in my eyes. Where do you find that? You come to the infinite and say, Father, I trust you. Look at verse 14. It's so beautiful, the picture describing it here. He's already said, man doesn't know its value. You're not going to find it on earth, looking as a human being. But verse 14, the deep says, it's not in me. And the sea says, it's not with me. Again, that parallelism idea. The deep, and you can go as far as you want. You're not going to find it down here. The sea, you can come to the very depths of the sea. You're not going to find it. And the idea here, being painted metaphorically, In Hebrew is this. You can go wherever you want to go. You can go as far down. You can go as high as you want to. In Romans, it talks about the depths or the height and the depth. You can go wherever you want to go, heaven, earth, below, about the very depths of the sea. You're not going to find wisdom in your human endeavors. You don't even value it, first of all. And secondly, you can't find it on earth. Where are you going to find it? By coming to the infinite. Coming to him. Second point, you can't find it. second point is you can't buy it. Verse 15, it can't be bought, it cannot be purchased for gold, nor can silver be weighed for its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir, in precious onyx, sapphire, gold, crystal, can e- nor can neither gold nor crystal can equal it. It can't be exchanged for jewelry, of fine gold. No, no mention shall be made of coral or quartz, for the price of wisdom is above rubies. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it. So he says it over in several different ways, he says, you can't buy it. You can't purchase it for gold. You can't purchase it with silver. uh, He mentions gold in here five times. Why would he mention gold five times? Because whether you live then or you live now, and if you're honest with yourself before God, What's the one thing most people desire in their life more than anything else? A little more what? Money. A little more of that gold. I mean, you see it advertised all the time. You can't trust the stock market. You can't trust the bond market. You can't trust cash. You better buy what? Better buy gold. Put your, all your assets, make it, make it gold and you'll be safe. I know most of you don't love watch the old Twilight Zone episodes like I do. From the early 60s, late 50s, early 60s, I loved that show. Rod Serling was a genius. My favorite one is the guys who rob a mint, and they've got all this gold. They put themselves, in, you know, cryogenically, they preserve themselves, and they come back, whatever it is, 100 years later, 50 years later, and they go, like, we're going to come back. Everybody will be gone. We've got all this gold. We'll be set. There's three of them. They come back, and they come out. The three of them, they put put their packs on and they're headed into what they think is L.A. and and they got all this gold, they're going to be set. And then human nature takes over. And what happens? Two of them get together and say what? It'll be like Mike and Chad, me, we're together. Mike and Chad get together and say, look, Randy's a weakling anyway. Let's just bump him off. And that means what? That's just more gold for me and you. So they bump Randy off. Now they divide the gold up in two instead of three. They're happy. To go, they get along, and you see them thinking. And then finally, Mike says, You know what? I think I can take Chad. Well, he bumps Chad off, and now he's got all the gold. He can't carry it. He's got so much. He's out in the desert, and he's struggling. And finally, he dies. For lack of water but he had a lot of gold didn't he and these guys show up in the hovercraft and Mike's body and they're looking at it and he's dead obviously and got all this stuff and one of the guys picks it up and goes what is this picks a bar of gold says, what is this one of the other guys says you know I read something about that I think years ago I think that's called gold I think it used to be really valuable What did Jesus say about treasure? Lay it up where? Lay it up in heaven. You don't know. Now clearly in that culture, culture after culture after culture, go back and look at idolatry. It always involved making something with gold because it was the most precious thing they could find. Uh, Peter talks about it in one of his epistles that you weren't bought with with things that that are corruptible like gold and silver. You were bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so he's saying here, you take the most valuable thing you have, all these precious jewels, seven of different ones mentioned, and gold and silver, you got all of that. You're wealthy in your own eyes and in the eyes of your peers, but you cannot buy wisdom with it. All your treasures... You can search everywhere you want to search. You're not going to find it. You, on earth. You're going to you get all the wealth you can have on earth. All the treasures. And you're not going to be able to buy it. Wisdom or understanding. You're finite. You're narrow. You've got to come to the infinite. So what's the source of wisdom? Starting in verse 20. What Job does. As he answers the question, this great question we've been talking about—that where's wisdom and where's understanding about life—so verse twenty. Look at it again with me. Verse twenty: From where then does wisdom come, and where is the place of understanding? He literally repeats almost exactly verse twelve where he began this to say, "Where's wisdom? Where's understanding?" He said, "I." From a human perspective, we, we do everything we can. We think we can buy it, we can't buy it. We search for it, we can't find it. So where is it? Comes back to the question you started out with. Verse 20, verse 20 and 21, 21, excuse me. It's hidden from the eyes of all living and concealed from the birds of the air. So you're not going to find wisdom from the living on the planet, not even the birds who can fly to the heavens. That's the idea can find wisdom. In the culture in which Job wrote this, they believed, many did, that birds had an extraordinary gift because they could fly. And that they had this gift of divination where they were confident confidants of the gods. You go back and study mythology and you could see that the Persians, the Greeks, and the Romans, that the birds were flying in the heavens and the gods were speaking to them. And so they would create their own gods with that capacity and then say they will share with us the message from the gods. Verse 22, so you can't get it from the living. Verse 22, destruction and death say, we've heard a report about it with our ears. We've heard a report about it from our ears, from the heights of heavens to the depths. Heaven, death, destruction, death, two different ways of saying the same thing. In Hebrew, it's the term they would use for sheol, or Hades, that's probably the most specific term, meaning the abode of the dead. Jesus tells a parable about it in Luke 16, I think it is, where two guys die and they go, to the, they go to Hades, which had two compartments, paradise and torments. That was after death. So he says, whether it's death or anything you want to search for, you can't find it. So where do you find it? That, that, that's Everything. Well, verse 23 tells you where you can find it. You find it from God, from God alone. God understands its way, wisdom. He knows its place, wisdom. He looks to the ends of the earth and he sees under the whole heavens. God understands wisdom, God knows where wisdom is. All that we as a human race are seeking, we've got all this knowledge that God has given us the capacity to have and to create, creativity and our intellect. God gave us the very capacity to earn wealth, like gold, make decisions and create all the things that we've done. wisdom on how to use it. God understands. All that we're seeking, we could find in him because he is omnipotent, omnipresent and omniscient. He has unlimited knowledge. He has all knowledge. He has all power. And he's everywhere. We would go to him. Verse 25 again. To establish a weight for the wind and a portion of the waters by measure. When he made a law for the rain and a path for the thunderbolt. God sees all the earth. He sees everything in the heavens. He created everything. In other words, he's the creator of all, verses 24 through 26. He looks to the end of the earth. He sees all the heavens. He's the creator of all, including wisdom. Look at verse 25 again. To establish a weight for the wind. For centuries, man didn't even know or believe that wind had weight. How did Job know that? Because he went to God, and God let him know. Twenty five, twenty six. You got the waters and the rain, and lightning. I love storms. I don't know why. Look how that rain we had. I guess Friday. I just sat in my room and just looked out the window. I guess that's what you do as you get older. You just sit in your room and you look out your window. And I, I love to see the lightning and count, you know, how many till the, till the thunder rolls and. Watch it rain, listen to it, just lay there and listen to listen to it rain. Because it's a reminder that my dad is what? Creator of all. He owns it. He knows we need the water. He sends us the water. Just what we need. He said, You could trust me because I'm the creator of all. Look at verse twenty seven. Then he saw wisdom and declared it. He prepared it. He searched it out. God not only created everything physically that we could see, it's all a manifestation of him proving himself to be God. Creation speaks. But he also made wisdom. He saw it. He declared it. Made it known. The idea in Hebrew is he narrated it. Creation, obviously, itself speaks of the wisdom of God. We've studied it many times and how down to the minutest detail, our universe, even if you don't believe the Bible and you don't believe in God, that our universe screams, somebody designed this thing, it's too sophisticated, it's too too detailed, it has to be designed, somebody designed it, obviously as believers, Christians, we believe it's the God of the Bible. He prepared wisdom. I love that phrase in Hebrew. It means He made it a matter of thought and inquiry. And only we can do that. As those created in the image of God, we can seek His face. We can seek wisdom. We can find it in Him. Think about that. Only we can do that as Christians, especially as His children. He only wants what's best for us. We need to seek his face and then go tell others about him. So, finally, it's the secret of wisdom, verse 28. And to man, God said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to depart from evil is understanding. There it is again, Hebrew parallelism. The fear of the Lord. And to depart from evil, two ways of saying the same thing. God said to man, to man, nothing else. God clearly states it. The fear of the Lord, and you depart from evil, that's wisdom. What does that mean? You see the phrase fear of the Lord, if you want to do a great Bible study, just take that phrase, fear of the Lord, and run it through Scripture. Make your uh, top of your page and then make bullet points. What does God say about the fear of the Lord? It's so important we understand this phrase as Christians. The fear of the Lord is not God is going to get me when I do bad. Growing up, that's what I thought about God. If I do wrong, he's going to get me. I got to be a good boy. Then I came to realize I can't be a good boy. I know me. It's impossible. The fear of the Lord, and you see it in Scripture when it talks about people encountering God. You see these people today, false teachers and others, and they thought they'd get them slain in the spirit and you're slapped by God and you always see them falling backwards. You don't see that in Scripture. You see people when, when they come and they encounter God in the fear of the Lord, what does it what does it make them do? Fall to their knees. Get on their face before God. I don't want that incredible. Shekinah glory, that light, that presence. It's not a fear like, I'm afraid God's going to get me. It's, you're just overwhelmed. It's reverential awe. Wow. Who who God is. And he deems me privileged enough to be his child in Christ. Pastor Gerald Steffi put it this way. Reverence toward God is the primary quality that makes us wise. Not until we stand in awe of the greatness of God and his limitless attributes can we become truly wise. Wisdom and evil cannot exist in the same heart. One displaces the other. So you notice there it says wisdom begins. It's the fear of the Lord. The whole book of Proverbs. I'm going to hit that in just a moment. Because what happens is as I'm seeking God, wisdom Lord, I want to know your will. I want to be what you want me to be. And I will be obedient. And rather than choosing evil, I will run from evil and choose what? Good. This past Friday night, we had the funeral service for one of our, our elders for 36 years, Jim Mitchell. I was sharing last Sunday about Jim, former elder dying and Peter asked me, said, are you talking about Jim Mitchell? I said, no, and then Jim died Sunday night. Jim Mitchell did. I was talking about Jim Wright, his former elder, and his service was yesterday in Chattanooga. And then Jim Mitchell literally died last Sunday night. And one of the things I loved the most about Jim Mitchell was that he was such a wise man and always was interested in... You and what does God want? And what happens is when that's your mindset about everything, then you don't want evil part of your life. You don't accept it. It bothers you. You, 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 you. you find yourself confessing and talking to your father and saying, "Dad, I'm sorry. That was a that was a terrible attitude." Nobody may even know you have that attitude, but you. Eventually, your wife will know it, but. Maybe it's just only you know it, but yet the Holy Spirit is saying that's wrong, and then you know it's wrong. That's what wisdom will do for you. I want to be everything, especially I guess as you get as you age. You realize the significance of that in every encounter with another human being is special, and you simply want to be toward that person everything that you can be, as a Christian. So that they can see God, Christ in you, your hope of glory. That they might be drawn to that. And it could be something real simple. Real simple. You never know. Yesterday I'm out in my driveway shooting basketball because that's just what I do to get away sometimes. And I I love to go out in my driveway and shoot basketball. Basketball. So I'm just out there shooting and there was a car parked in the driveway next door. And I thought it was just the sunlight hitting in and I thought their lights were on. I said, well, it's just the sunlight hitting it and you're old, you can't see anyway. So I'm just out there shooting. Kept shooting. I kept. Going. I said, I'm sure that... So finally I set the basketball down. No, I still had it in my hand. I walked over there and got down on my knees where I could look right at the parking lights and sure enough they were on. So I just went to the sweet lady lives there and went and knocked on her door rang the doorbell and she had some friends in there and she comes to the door and says she calls me Pastor Randy and and, and like she respects me I'm, like, no, I'm still. She said, Pastor Randy how are you I said I'm great T I just want you to know that the car is parked in your driveway the, the lights are on and she turns to whoever's in the car your lights are on and, said, and, and this is Pastor Randy now I didn't do anything special did I But she knows from our past history that I want to be a good neighbor to her and that I care about her. She's a very sweet lady and lost both her husband and both her parents this past year died in the same week, like two days apart. Very special lady. And I love being a neighbor to people. Haven't always been, you know, there are times in my life when I've been that neighbor, like, what are you doing on my lawn, guy? Get off my, you know, even that was when I was young. Get get off my lawn. I worked hard out there. Now I love it. Like there's some kids down the street that I coach in basketball. I love them. You come down to my house and we'll shoot basketball on my driveway, and I'll show you how it's supposed to be done. That kind of thing. You you don't know what a kind how a kind deed might lead you to have the opportunity to share Christ with someone who, by the way, desperately needs that, don't they? Everybody needs Christ. So wisdom is knowing what to do. You have the knowledge. Say, all right, Lord, how do you, what do you want me to do? And then the balance here, the fear of the Lord, that reverential awe and departing from evil. Here's the, here's the balance. Wisdom is, all right, I know what to do. Character is doing it. Doing it. That I know what to do. And then I just go and do it. Nobody prompts me. Nobody pays me. Nobody makes me. I do it because it's the right thing to do. And I want people to know that I want to do what's right as a Christian. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon put it this way. Very simple statement. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. It's a daily surrender to who your God is respectful, loving trust for your God. It's the answer to life's riddles, life's pains, life's struggles. It's being humble before your God. fear of the Lord is not what the pagans would be terrified of their gods and they would try to create an idol to get the God on their side. That's not what the fear of the Lord is in Scripture. It's having a teachable spirit, a servant spirit, a grateful spirit, And a reliant spirit. He said, Lord, I want to be what you want me to be. That's all that matters to me. How can I please you? I want you to turn over to the book of Proverbs, chapter 3. You're very close, so let's go over a couple of books. Proverbs, chapter 3. Look at verse 13, 3.13. Look at the proceeds of wisdom. Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. It's the same two words we've been looking at in Job. Happiness. Verse 14. Wisdom's proceeds are better than the profits of silver. Her gain than fine gold. She's more precious than rubies and all the things you may desire without compare, cannot compare with her. True wealth is wisdom. Happiness, wealth. Length of days is in her right hand. In her left hand, riches and honor. Her ways are ways of pleasantness and all her past wisdom are peace. You're going to have an honorable life. A happy life. A true legacy. Talking about Jim Mitchell. The legacy of being a godly servant. When you're gone, if you live a life of wisdom. Verse 17, you're just going to be at peace. In the midst of storm, you have peace. Finally, verse 18, she's a tree of life. to Those who take hold of her and happy are all who retain her. Verse 19, the Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the depths were broken up and clouds drop down the dew. Wisdom. I want to close with this story and then we will end our time together. It's a story about a group of pastors. I like to read these stories because I know preachers. It's very real. Years ago, this is a pastor talking about he was at a lunch with hundreds of pastors. And Pastor Ron Walters was the speaker. He said, I have a series of seven statements that I'd like to read. And you respond to it. These are all pastors, hundreds. He said, say amen if you agree with the statement. Here we go. Say amen if you believe that God is but one only, the living and true God. Everyone shouted, Amen. Say amen if you believe that God is almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will. Remember, they're all pastors. They all said amen. Say amen if you believe that God created the heavens and the earth out of nothing. They all said amen. Say amen if you believe that God's works of providence are his most holy, wise, and powerful preserving of and governing all his creatures and all their actions. Everyone shouted, amen. Say amen if you believe that God is in sovereign control of the entire universe and that there's not a single atom that is not under God's sovereign control. They all shouted, amen. Say amen if you believe that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead and that Jesus is now seated at God's right hand. Everyone shouted, amen. Say amen if you believe that God is able to take care of you with all your troubles and trials. And just a few people in the room said amen. See, scripture says in Ephesians, if you don't walk in trust, you're walking as the unwise. The theme of all scripture is the righteous live by faith. We trust God. We seek wisdom. All the attributes we've been talking about of who our, our God is, this is the most practical, I think. He said, I go to my father. I have the knowledge. And I go to him and say, Lord, how do I use the knowledge you've given me in this situation, this situation, with this person? I want to be wise. I want to be a wise parent, spouse, friend, whatever. To bow your heads, please. So, Father, as we... Close out our time together today. I pray we'd be challenged, have been challenged by your word. Not to just be glad that Jesus came and died for us, but to be wise. To seek out your face as the one who is truly wise. We know a lot. Pray we'd apply that knowledge, seek your face. And then make wise decisions in all that we do. That we'd humble ourselves before the one true God. That you, Father, are our dad. That we would simply say, I want to do what my dad wants me to do because I can't go wrong doing that. And not just accept rocking along every day. But live every day as an opportunity to glorify you. Humbly before you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're in the building, please stand with, as we sing.